Well, speaking of paper, I want to show you this. So here's a roll of 100% hemp paper. So cool. cool. Yep, I wanted to, here's some hemp wood. And these guys, Greg Wilson and the hemp wood guys, a lot of our stuff is made with their products and amazing product and cheers to those guys. Um, we just interviewed our, Greg yesterday on Dave Cooper Live. Yep. Um, this is a shout out to Mark Linde from Green Spring Technologies, who's no longer with us. He was a pioneer in the hemp. Uh... Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, we'll give it a couple minutes while everybody logs on. I'm really excited about today's interview. I'm excited to have you on here, Morris. I'm glad to finally be able to talk to you and sit down and share kind of what you're working on. There's lots of people that keep asking me if we're attending your events and have been to some of your events. And so I'm excited to share. But welcome. For those of you that are just joining, if you like what you're hearing, please like, share, comment, um, invite other people to join. You can find all of our content and information on global, our website, uh, globalhempassociation.org or on our YouTube channel, Global Hemp Association. Um, but I'm going to pass this over because I'm excited to hear what's going on with you, Morris. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this industry, a little background about yourself. All right. Well, thanks for having me on, Mandy. And it's good to actually talk to you in one of these sessions that you do all the time and congratulations yeah. for getting so many people involved. And, you know, you've come on for the last, you know, six, eight months and just interviewed all kinds of great people. So kudos to you and the global hemp association for all you're doing for the industry and jumping in head first and, and making splashes and waves and all the good stuff. Um, so I got into, well, you know, I guess a little bit of my past is I, Grew up in Colorado. I was born in Kansas, actually, but my parents moved here when I was less than one. We lived on a farm, a little 17-acre farm. Uh, we didn't grow any crops or anything, but we had horses and cows and chickens and ducks and dogs and cats. And so I was a little farm boy for the first 10, 11 years of my life. Um, then got into playing sports. We moved out of the, the farm thing, moved into a neighborhood, played sports growing up. Um, had a musical family. My brothers, I had two older brothers. Uh, one's professional guitar player, great world-class musician. I play guitar as well. As you can probably see behind me, I've got some guitars back there and, and amplifiers and cabinets. And all of these on this side right here, those are all made out of hemp. Those okay. are not made out of hemp. Those are regular ones. But we'll get to talking about the Silver Mountain hemp guitars and cabinets and so forth later. But so grew up in a musical family, two older brothers, um, got turned on to rock and roll at an early age, uh, graduated from Loveland High School, went to Colorado State University for a year, part of their concert committee and was really into the music industry at that time and decided to move to Atlanta and go to the school at a place called the Music Business Institute, trade school, covered all aspects of the industry and basically from there went straight into the industry working for a large music and video wholesaler and retailer and Spent seven years with those guys in Georgia, as well as California. And in California, I covered California, Washington, and Hawaii as my, as my territory. I was a district manager and 
Um, great experience, great time on the West Coast. It was kind of when the whole grunge thing was happening with Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and got to see a lot of those bands back then and hang out in the Seattle club scene. So that was fun. And I then moved back to Colorado in 1995 and wanted to try to recreate this Seattle, Seattle music scene here in Colorado and started a company called Happy Scratch Records, which was a one-stop shop um, production company. We did CD and DVD manufacturing and packaging, T-shirts, hats, merchandise, distribution, concerts, festivals, music licensing, kind of a jack of all trades, yeah. master of none. But, um, <laughs> You know, a lot of printing and packaging and, and events and stuff. And that's where I really kind of cut my teeth for what was to come later when I topped into the hemp industry. Mm -hmm. um, and just to be clear, so I was, you know, I really wasn't knowledgeable of hemp back in the 90s until when I moved back to Colorado, there was a hemp store in Fort Collins called the Hemper's New Clothes that was based off the Emperor Wears No Clothes from the Jack Hare book. And I read the Jack book and I got to befriend the owner of the store and find out about the the clothes that they had and the creams and lotions and rope and soap and all of that stuff. So I got familiar with him back then and I was a cannabis user. I've been a cannabis user for a long time from a recreational standpoint, um, but really didn't do much in the hemp industry other than I did run some hats and T-shirts that were on hemp back in the, the late 90s that I got set up from the gal at the, the hemp store. So I did that for a couple of my bands, but... You know, fast forward, oh, another decade and the music industry got tough. Digital came in, Napster, MP3, um, kind of destroyed the entire physical media business of CDs and, and and vinyl was already dead at that point. But now vinyl's back and, and selling more than CDs. I mean, nobody even has CD players anymore. But at that point in time, it's like the, the business had turned sideways. All the record stores had basically gone out of business. All the chains, all the Sam goodies and music lands and towers and everything basically went to digital. And, and to be able to make up the revenue on the digital side, just it, it wasn't happening. So there was a lot of attrition in the industry. And I held on through about 2010 and then decided, you know, I got to find something else. And at that time, Colorado was one of the pioneers in the whole cannabis medical marijuana space and and come 2012 we introduced the first legislation to legalize adult use cannabis and tax and regulate it like alcohol um, it was amendment 64 and within that legislation there was a clause to start allowing colorado farmers to start growing industrial hemp and i was like hmm interesting i'm familiar with hemp and you know, maybe this could be a, a good industry to, to pivot to because, A, our, our society needs um, some more eco-friendly alternatives. And coming from the music business, one of the things that um, was kind of a come to Jesus moment for me is being in the physical CD business. I can tell you that me personally, it's probably responsible for 100,000 pieces of plastic CD jewel cases in the landfill. And I'm just one guy out of a lot of people that have contributed to the landfill with plastic. And it's like, wow, this is such a waste. I mean, why are we throwing all this stuff into the landfill that's going to take thousands of years to biodegrade, if ever? Um, there has to be better ways. And, and what can hemp do? You know, hemp's one of these materials that can replace a lot of the petroleum plastics or the 
stop the deforestation of chopping down trees for paper and toilet paper and, <laughs> and construction materials. So I was like, hmm, let's start a hemp company. You know, it's time to pivot. And I reached out to a friend of mine, Elizabeth Knight, who's a co-founder in Colorado Hemp Company. And we started Colorado Hemp Company in 2012. And, and that's where we started. That's awesome. Awesome. So you've had, a, I'm, I'm always interested, like what people's aha moments are. Like what, what was it for you that you were like, oh, hemp is it, like you said? Well, again, I was trying to figure out what's the next path for me. I've been in the music business for 25 yeah. years and, and I didn't see a path forward to being able to make a good living at it um, coming from okay. where I was. And I was just kind of burnt out and tired. And it's like, well, I could go into the marijuana industry. It's happening here in Colorado, but it's like, I really don't want to be schlepping marijuana and, and working at a dispensary and I'm not a grower. And I just got really intrigued with the hemp side of things. It's like, well, we can start a hemp merchandise company. So boom, we started doing hemp t-shirts. And I reached out to a couple of companies that were already operating. One was Wicked Hemp Footwear that was making hemp shoes. Hempies, which is still around. They make wallets and shirts and they do cordage and hats and beanies and picked up their line. And then I picked up another line by a company called Hemp Mania that was making backpacks and tote bags and um, a variety of different bag type stuff. And they're still around as well. So we made a kind of a resale arrangement with them where I could go sh shop their stuff to outdoor shops and, and just rep their product lines. Gotcha. And that's really how it all started. And we started doing gotcha. our own t-shirts and hats. And then from there, I found a hemp paper and started doing hemp business cards and posters and marketing collateral in 2013 and started Tree Free Hemp, which was one of the first hemp printing companies out on the market. There's another company yeah. in Oregon called the Hemp Press that started around the same time as us and does similar things to us and and they're a great company and we utilize some of the same paper stocks and so there's only been a couple of us doing that paper thing for a while which is starting to take off a little bit more now which is great okay so where are things today with the paper and where do you see opportunity like what have been some of these challenges in the paper space well the challenges in the paper space is a the the material the pulp to replace the wood pulp that's out there and and yeah. folks have to understand that the timber industry has been subsidized for 100 plus years, just like the petroleum industry has. And all the machinery that's out there and been out there has really been geared at processing wood pulp and not so much hemp or other bio-based materials, cotton and so forth. Although you can see a lot of recycled material starting to get incorporated into the paper market, but the machinery has been built and developed for wood pulp. And so utilizing hemp pulp and having it plug and play has been a challenge. And Greenfield Paper Company out of San Diego has been really the leading the charge for a long time. And now several other companies are coming up with pulping technologies. One in particular, Pure Hemp Technology, Ed Lairberger, good friend of mine. I'm actually a part owner in their Pure Hemp Pulp and Paper, which is looking to upscale with their uh, CCR technology, which is a counter current reactor. Okay. Yeah. And what that does is you run the hemp stock through and they actually break it down. They, they, they basically chop it up and then they run it through their, through this biorefinery and it spits things out into different buckets. You got pulps, lignans, and yeah. sugars that go into three different buckets. And then the pulps 
from there, then they can refine down and, and hit specific specifications for different types of pulps. And so they've been working on this technology for the last five, six years and have come up with some really amazing IP. And while it's not come to fruition yet, there's all kinds of potential opportunities to upscale this. And there's several um, big mills that are now on board, uh, including like Mohawk Paper, who they're providing pulp to. Um, the the remain the majority of the pulp at this point is coming in from outside of the United States. It's been coming in from Europe. Um, it's been coming in from Canada, or at least the raw fiber has been coming in for Canada, and it's been pulped here. But the lack of materials has been the biggest issue here in the United States. Plus the technology to really create this pulp, so it's more of a plug and play system into the existing technology that's there. That's been the challenge. That's the challenge with. Same thing with bioplastics. How do we plug and play? You know, the hemp plastic company is figuring out how to plug and play, you know, and now it's not 100% petroleum plastic. It's 75% and 25% bio-based, you know, that's a little chunk. And we're doing the same thing with the paper market. You know, the paper we've been using is 25% hemp, 75% post-consumer recycled. Um, and then with pure hemp technology, uh, like three, four years ago, we made this, which is a 50% hemp pulp. 50% post-consumer recycled. Okay. And now does that change? this right here is a hundred percent hemp. And this is created by Cottrell paper company out of New York. Cottrell yeah. Mill. And we did those. That's a hemp place, Mac. We did those for NOCO yeah. Hemp Expo this year. Yes. And we're actually doing hemp paper bags for Southern Hemp Expo coming up and we're using the Cottrell paper. And, and so these guys are really kind of the first company to do a hundred percent hemp paper milled here in the United States. And all the material actually came from Canada, from Canadian Rockies hemp. And I think you had Aaron Barr on recently, yeah. didn't you? Yep. Yeah. And so yeah, Aaron's me. doing great things. And, and what we need is more Aaron's of the world, more IND hemp's, more of these, these companies that can process materials on a very large scale so we can start getting the price down because hemp pulp is like six times the cost of wood pulp. That's a problem. Yeah, you know, we have some of our activist people that really care about the planet that they're going to pay a significant upcharge. But the everyday person isn't going to pay five, six times the cost of something to they're just not going to do it. Same thing with a T-shirt. Why are you going to go pay 100 bucks for a T-shirt when you can go get one for 10 bucks? Right. Right. OK, so you talked a little bit about NOCO. You launched NOCO in 2014. It was the largest trade show up until 2020 or up to 2020. How did the pandemic affect the trade show and the shows and the networking and the industry's relationships to do business or ability to do business? It, it definitely has disrupted our industry. Yeah. You know, we were we were really rocking going into 2020. 2019, we had a, a huge show, 10,000 plus people, cars parked on curbs. I mean, it was really pandemonium and and those that were there, no, I, it was a bit too much. We had too many people for the space that we had, and we moved to a larger facility for 2020 and had great um, amount of exhibitors registered over 400 and 200 and some thousand square feet. And then all of a sudden, here comes the pandemic. And when that hit, we were actually, me and Joy Beckerman and Rick Trojan were at Expo West, um, for the Natural Products Expo to give a future of hemp talk on Tuesday, March 2nd. But on March 1st, they pulled the plug and it was like, holy smokes, this is not good. 
and I wasn't planning on pulling the plug. I, I, I then looked to South by Southwest who said, we're going on. And it's like, all right, good. I'm going to follow you guys and AEG and Live Nation. It's like, if the concert industry is going to hang in there, I'm following those guys. But that changed really quick. So by the end of that week, South by Southwest, it had a bunch of people pull out and said, you know, sponsors canceling. It's like, we're pulling the plug. And it's like, all right, well, we're going to pull the plug and give our exhibitors and all of our attendees at least two weeks notice so it doesn't screw everybody. And yeah. that's what we did. We made the announcement on like Monday the 8th. And then our governor, Governor Polis, made the announcement the following day that state of emergency and here comes masks and lockdowns and all of this. And then the following day, the NBA pulled the plug. And when the NBA pulled the plug, that was it. That's like, this is real. And, and at that point we, uh, we immediately pivoted to the cloud and to this online conference and trade show. And we bought into a platform called six connects and, and we did a we did a show in April over Earth Week, and it was like the No Coat Earth Week show. And we had a bunch of great programming. We built out an online platform that looked really cool, and we had a lot of people attend. It's like we got to keep things going. People still need a place to convene, and if it can't be in person, we yes. have to do it online. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And then we did another one in in the summer and over summer solstice, and did an experience hemp summer solstice event. And, you know, I've just jumped in with a lot of other people trying to keep people connected online and through the industry as much as possible, because we have to continue to network and do business. And, you know, ideally it's face to face, but at least we can see each other face to face right now. You know, it, it's not the same. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, I feel like I lose. I mean, it's been great. I've met people all over the world that I wouldn't be able to talk to if it weren't for Zoom, right? But I feel like there's definitely a piece that's missing and definitely a piece when we talk about how do our farmers do business, right? How many of them are getting on Zoom calls and connecting? And so how much of that piece are we missing? Right. Well, more of them now than they were oh, 18 months ago because everybody has had to do that. But there is a difference. And I don't think that online can ever replace in person. I'm a live guy. And if you've grown up going to concerts and festivals and trade shows, that's where, that's where business happens. It's the face to face. You, that's where you can get the real energy from somebody else. See, looking online and having these conversations, it's okay, but it's not the same. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, okay, so how do you think that moving forward, ag and the, I guess the ag space in general and hemp being an agricultural commodity, right? How do you think that that will affect events or our ability to maintain events um, as, an, as a commodity or, and as an essential business? Well, there was several pretty big ag events that happened coming out of the pandemic at the end of February and going into March. Um, I think Iowa had one and Nebraska had one, and they actually had a hemp presence there. Um, Melissa from U.S. Hemp Expo's booth boss, uh, I know that she yeah. got some space there and like the Bish Boys and yeah. Corbett and all those guys showed up to those. And that, that was right before NOCO. Um, and then we pulled off NOCO. But I, I see the ag shows happening and not shutting down, that people will still convene there because – 
typically they're in red states where they're a little bit more lenient than in blue states. And you have these huge footprints that they're outdoors and you can yeah. socially distance. And, you know, even the ones that have big, large expo halls that you can, there's enough space at those things. Um, like the world ag expo, which we went to last year before yeah. the pandemic hit, it was like the last, one of the last events that we hit in the middle of February of 2020. That's got such a huge footprint in the middle of California. It's like, you know, you can socially distance there and you you can be safe. Well, I was really, I was impressed at the, at NOCO this year. I mean, it was, there were tons of contacts there. It flowed well. It was definitely more spread out. Like you said, it was definitely a big, bigger space, but so is the equipment we're using and so are the businesses we're operating. And so it really isn't, it, it was nice to see people face to face and especially everybody that we'd met know that we've right. been able to build a relationship and bring the re- bring the business to the table and now we can yeah close business at the events right. it's been great well it's when you get a lot of people that are very passionate and smart and into the industry together under one roof magic happens and we've seen that at noco over the years people have seen it at mj biz as that side of the business has grown and and other trade shows you see you've seen it at the natural products industry shows and really any industry, things happen at trade shows and conferences if they're well-organized and you've got the right mix of people there. Joke's on me. I was on mute. (laughs) (laughs) A lawnmower was outside, so I put myself on mute. But hi, Daryl. It's great to see you on here. And Rick, you too. I want to say hello. Shout out to you. Um, Hey, Daryl. I saw... Yeah. I think I saw you in Texas, right, Daryl? Yes, it's where yeah. it's at. So I'm assuming that that's where. Okay, yeah. so tell me about the business you started in 2015. Is it WAFBA? Yes, okay. So tell me a little bit about it. It's the umbrella for events and developing and products you're developing, right? Tell me. Right, so in 2012, we started Colorado Hemp Company. In 2013, we started Tree Free Hemp. In 2014, we started NOCO Hemp Expo. And it's like, here's all these entities that are really separate from each other. Um, We need to have like a holding company or an umbrella. And so we created WAFBA, We Are For Better Alternatives. And that now holds those three plus Southern Hemp Expo, Let's Talk Hemp, Hemp Events, Hawaii Hemp Conference, Silver Mountain Hemp Guitars, One Planet Hemp. It holds all of our brands and our entities and within it, then in our books and stuff, everything's delineated. So it's, it's easy to kind of piece everything out. If we were to turn around and let's say sell tree free hemp to a larger something, it's like, we can take tree free hemp and boom, move it right out of here and into something else. And that we did that intentionally. So if we were to get acquired or part of us was to get acquired, we could easily just piecemeal everything. Awesome. 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 So what are, what are future plans? What are some of these new businesses you think you'll be getting your fingers or your self involved in? Well, the, the hemp paper side of things is something that I'm definitely going to be involved in. Good. And I'm excited about that because we're just at the very tip of what can happen there. And there are big companies that are showing interest. Um, so I'm excited about that. The guitar side of things, the, this is, been a labor of love. There's still development going on. All these are prototypes, but the prototyping's pretty much done now. 
Um, the guys that are building these for me, they're the French brothers, Dave and Michael French. They'll be out at Southern Hemp Expo. They were at Southern Hemp Expo the last time. Awesome. Um, great builders, super smart guys, super cool. Um, so I'm excited about that. That's not something I see becoming like Fender or Gibson or a big guitar company, but um, they're good, good instruments. I want to get them in the hands of good guitar players and good musicians. Um, they sound good. They play good. And it just shows one more thing that hemp can do. Not that we're out to replace all the wood on the planet because guitar players have their uh, kinship with certain types of tone woods and so forth. So we're not trying to replace all your cool woods, everybody. This is just another alternative, another tool in the toolbox. Um, but let's see what else. Oh, well, speaking of paper, I want to show you this. So here's a roll of 100% hemp paper. Which so is cool. cool. Yep, I wanted to. Here's some hemp wood. And these guys, Greg Wilson and the Hemp Wood guys, a lot of our stuff is made with their products and amazing product. And cheers to those guys. Um, we just interviewed our, Greg yesterday on Dave Cooper Live. Yeah. Um, this is a shout out to Mark Linde from Green Spring Technologies, who's no longer with us. He was a pioneer in the hemp uh, 3D printing. Hemp pin right here. Mitch McConnell signed the whatever the Farm Bill stuff before yeah. it went to Trump with a pin exactly like this. Um, I don't know if you've had the recoil people on. Mm -mm. So this is made with uh, hemp plastic. That's like 25% hemp plastic, 75% petroleum, but we're taking a chip out of that petroleum side of things. So we're making progress. Um, well, so it makes a big difference on the carbon footprint. People always say, well, that's not a big enough difference to make an impact. It absolutely is on the carbon footprint. Oh, for sure. And I, I get people hassling me. What, your hemp paper is only 25% hemp? I want 100% hemp paper. It's like, well, you really don't understand the process of what it takes to get there. And this is an improvement of where we have been. So sometimes it's, you know, baby steps and I'd like to take bigger steps too, but it's challenging. Well, the industry Technology is limiting at this point and so is materials. And industry didn't disappear overnight. It's going right. to take us a little bit to bring it back, right? And and I yep. think it is. It's the entire supply chain. Materials are a big are a big piece of this. Uh, uh, can I ask? I know this is. I'm curious. Your opinion is. I don't even know how to ask this correctly. <laughs> I, I want to know where your where do you see the um next bottleneck or the bottleneck for the industry as processing equipment is coming on board because processing has been this bottleneck right now now where do you see us moving in this next shift where should people be paying attention well i think processing is still going to be a bottleneck on the the fiber side the grain side is more processing is popping up um there's plenty of processing on the cannabinoid side. We've got extraction companies all over the place. So I, I don't see the bottleneck there. And we've got enough CBD material out there to take care of things for quite some time, although a lot of it's been uh, converted into Delta-8. So now we've got this synthetic cannabinoid that's causing waves and ruffling feathers across the country. Um, That'll all work itself out. But I still see that there's going to be a bottleneck. If we're going to really try to uh, upscale the, the, the fiber side where we can have, you know, 
construction material or replacement ingredients and materials and plastics and packaging, we're going to need a lot of acreage. And to then to process that, so the, like IND Hemp has their their facility, which isn't open yet on the fiber side. They've got a five ton an hour LaRoche double line machine, and they'll be able to process X amount of material a year. We really need like twenty of those guys around the country. So you know they're, they're going to be able to handle their area with you know a hundred mile radius or whatever the radius. I mean, when it comes to these things. For processing on a big scale, if we're going to have an impact on industrial materials, there's a there's a range of where that material has to ship from. Otherwise, it become it doesn't become economically viable. And is that 50 miles, 75 miles, 100 miles? You'll hear people's opinions. At this point, it's going to be over 100 miles because we're just trying to get the industry going and proving the concept that these materials will sell and they're going to be more expensive for a while. And Who's going to pay the upcharge on that? You know, some people will, and it's going to be a little more small scale specialty. Consumers are willing to pay with their dollars. You know, they're they're putting their dollar where their mouth is now. And, you know, the younger generations are speaking up by being willing to pay for something that they know where it's sourced. They know where it's grown. How, How rewarding for them to be able to say, my home, we grew my home in my home state my house in my home state. Right. And that's a, I mean, that's, I think again, yeah. You look around your house and everything that's behind you there could have a hemp component to it. Your pillows, your carpeting, your couch. Um, That was over at my partner Lizzie's house last night and she's got a hemp couch and a sofa and love seat and everything that we bought for NOCO couple years ago from a, a company in North Carolina that unfortunately is no longer in business, but it's like, She's got hemp couches at her house, which is cool. Yeah. See, that's what, there's so much furniture out there that's being built from it. And those types of things that, you know, that type of fabric I see being, or textile, I guess, uh, I see as a real opportunity bringing to the market over a Walmart t-shirt. Right. right. You've got people that have been working on it. You've got Barb and Summer at Enviro Textile, yeah. Lawrence Serbin at Hemp Traders and, you know, we just we still got a little ways to go here in the United States, but I, we're going to get there. We're like a little engine that could. <laughs> we, we are. And if you look at any of the other countries, they really are looking to us for the innovation. Now, that was really eye opening to me is how how much more innovative the United States is and that we really are. They lean on us or they look into uh, our our education and our tools and our resources to really move things forward for the globe. And so it's an opportunity zone, big time or opportunity for us, big time. Okay. So Look, I was going to say, we can't, you can't overlook what Europe's done technology. No. If you look at hemp flax and done agro and, and some of the stuff that they've done over the years to, to really set the industry up where us in the United States, like, wow, this is all cool. We can do this too. And, and it just spurs on the innovation. It's like, all right, that's uh-huh. really good. But we could do something that's even cooler than that. Uh-huh. And so now it's going to be this going back and forth and who can come up with the most efficient, cool technology to really take hemp into the mainstream and make oh, it a viable replacement ingredient for all the stuff we've talked about. Timber, cotton, petroleum, all the things that we need to start chipping away at to make sure that our planet remains somewhat livable and healthy. And collaboration. 
right? Instead mm-hmm. of like who can always do it better, but what are, what do we do to complement what they're doing and what do we use of theirs? You know, like using the technology that's existing there and being able to bring it over here, just like IND Hemp did, right? And right. yeah. Well, I know that those Hempflax and Dunagro both have looked at North America and I'm sure that they're going to be bringing their technology over here and they probably already got partners that are, that's probably already happening. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, we'll give a couple of shout Hi, Liam. It's great to see you again. Uh, hey, Daryl says, yes, he's absolutely in Texas for sure. <laughs> Uh, hi, Zev. It's good to see you. 100% agree. Um, what up, Zev? <laughs> oh, we are. Our goal is to validate domestic hemp textiles for superior fiber. Awesome, Nick. Uh, I'm excited to chat with you too soon. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Uma. It's good to Dr. see you. Dr. Uma is going to be keynoting at uh, Southern Hemp Expo, and we're super excited about that because Dr. Uma is a rock star for this Woo! industry. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for listening. Um, well, awesome. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about Southern Hemp Expo. You know, we kind of touched on who who's going to be there with Dr. Uma. Who else, or what else? What else can we expect as far as? Well, we're going to be publishing our schedule here within the next week. You can go to the website right now, southernhempexpo.com. Um, there's still some exhibitor spots left. There's most of the programming is done. We've got. Bob Hoban will be there. Bob actually, I don't, you've, you had Bob on. Yeah. And Bob just uh, merged his Hoban Law Group into Clark Hill. Yeah. And Bob's been my attorney for, I don't know, five or six years now. And and he's going to be given our kind of State of the Union global keynote address, which will be great. Um, we've got a big focus on regenerative ag. We've got Ben Dobson who will be talking on Hudson Carbon and what they're doing with uh, being able to quantify carbon in the soil through regenerative agriculture practices. They've got a technology that's very high tech. And I th- have you had Ben on? No. Okay. But you had somebody from Hudson Hemp on, did you not or not? Okay. So not as a anyway, They're in New York. They're on our show. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. They're doing some really cool stuff. Hopefully, we're going to have Ashley Walsh from Pocono Organics as well, who just became the first certified regenerative organic hemp farm in the world, I believe, to to get that seal, which is um, from the Rodale Institute. So it's beyond organic. Um, So that's exciting. Our our farm day is very focused on the regenerative side of things. And we've been that way since the get-go. And um, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make sure that this crop remains focused on organic and regenerative and not conventional because we have to change our agriculture practices. If we do not, we are go- our planet is going to get rid of us. We are going to die. So that, that I think that that's key. And hemp, not that it's the only solution, but it can lead the lead the way and be the platform to talk about we have to change our ways here and that's the great thing about hemp while it's itself not necessarily the entire solution it can be a platform to talk about all the other solutions that are there i absolutely agree i i learned a lot getting into hemp about how much we're in trouble how in trouble our planet really is right and I did because hemp is at the forefront. People say all the time, well, why hemp? It's 
Well, why not? It's at the forefront of all of the discussions around sustainability and regenerative agriculture. Um, talk to me a little bit about why. What do you think that message is that people need to be hearing? And how do we, in our line of work and creating this collaboration and sharing the message, you know, where do we really need to be focused? Regenerative agriculture, but why? What else? Um, materials that have less of an impact on the planet. And that's yeah. decarbonizing the building industry. Yes. The, the, that's a huge one. And hemp has been kind of fighting for a long time to get into the green building industry. And it's amazing to me that so many people in the green building industry up until really recently, I guess, but really hadn't even considered hemp as a material and, and not even thought about it. I mean, I talked to some green building people on this uh, webinar probably four or five months ago and they weren't it's like what are you doing with hemp building materials are you planning to utilize these in your decarbonization mm -hmm. scheme over the next 15 years and it's like well we really haven't looked into that is there a supply issue and you know we've got some mushroom insulation stuff it's like well cool good on the mushroom insulation that's good there's also kind of a mushroom hemp combo insulation that's out there as well and then you got maddie mead doing his hemp bowl and a variety of other hemp insulations that are out there, but we need to be looking at materials that can lessen the impact of all the consumer goods and industrial goods that are out there. And again, hemp fills, you know, checks so many of those boxes and other plant-based things do too. You can do calf and flax and bamboo. And it's not like hemp's the only thing. I'll continue to say that, but I think, with the visibility of hemp and cannabis and marijuana and that whole conversation, we have an opportunity through the media to heighten the, the visibility and the message of this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff has a question. He's wondering about dates of the event again, September 2nd, 3rd and 4th. Is that right? Yeah. Second, September 2nd, 4th, 3rd and 4th. The second is the business conference. The third is the farm symposium. And the fourth is what we are going to call experience hemp day. It's open to the public. Everybody can come in free programming for everybody. And a big part of the event is we've got three stages. They're going to be loaded with great panels and solo presentations covering the entire supply chain and if you want to get involved in hemp, I mean, we are a hemp show. We're not a CBD show. CBD is part of it, but we are a hemp show. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Jay, you're right. Hemp OSB. This is something that comes up a lot, right? And this is something in the construction space as we start having these conversations. Morris, you know, how do we get past this uh, one, I'm sure that it's probably different for you in Colorado compared to us in Utah, <laughs> this stigma about the word cannabis compared to hemp and the price of products, right? How many builders, and, and I see it getting easier as we were slapped with this extreme lumber, you know, price increase. So, but what's in your opinion, how do we really bring this down? And what does that message look like to bridge that gap for the buyers or the distributors to understand hemp's it? Or right. a solution, a, a solution. Well, it's funny, the OSB, I was talking to Dave French yesterday about the guitar okay. side of things, and he's all about plywood and OSB. And there's going to be a lot of emphasis on that coming to market. But what we need is we need materials mm -hmm. in a quantity that can be produced at such a scale where 
you know, will people pay five or 10% more for something like this? Yeah, but they're not going to pay 50% or 100% more. And so it's again, it's going to get to volume. And that's why we need 20 INDs or um, Canadian Rockies hemp around North America. And I, and I, what I, what I see is I see North America becoming the supply chain with Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Mexico's coming on board, um, full on adult through full on industrial. And, you know, labor's cheaper down there. Certain things can be done down there more efficiently than probably in the United States or Canada. And so I think over the course of the next three to five years, you'll see the entire the supply chain building out across North America and then connecting to South America that all the way through Central America into Colombia and Brazil. And and we'll have kind of this hemisphere will be, you know, we'll have everything in place to do everything we need right here on these two continents. I agree with you. Somebody asked me yesterday what my opinion about Mexico coming on board was and if they'd be a player. And I think that they will be a, an asset to North America's infrastructure because of labor costs and our ability to compete with, yeah, manufacturing. Well, speaking of Mexico, we are in the works right now of putting together a large hemp event in Mexico City next year in May. So that will be coming. There's some partners down there, people coming together from around the globe to make a really cool international hemp event in Mexico City. Okay. You send that out. I want to know where it's at. I can't wait to be traveling again. Mexico. Somebody says Mexico. Yes. I'm all about this. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So Morris, what do you see, I guess, coming in the future? Where, where, where are we at? How, what do you suppose the time frame is? Um, you say five years, we're really going to see big infrastructure. Where do you see it starting to really mainstream? You think five years is reasonable or you think 10? I think five to 10. You, when are the Johnson and Johnsons and Georgia Pacifics and some of these really Nestle, I think we were talking about before, you, you'll see some of those companies jumping into the market. It, once the FDA does what they should have done several years ago, and that's regulate CBD, and they need to do it now. I mean, it's the lack of action by the FDA has cost this industry hundreds of millions of dollars across the supply chain, not just the CBD industry, but the fiber and grain industry because of their inaction. And I think it's almost criminal and corrupt that those guys have drug their feet like they have, and they need to be held to the fire. Congress wants them to regulate this now. I mean, it was clear in the farm bill, and there's legislation that the roundtable has backed and put forth in the House and in the Senate now. And we as an industry, really, we got to step up and let our voices be heard that, A, that has to, once that's done, then you've got the Nestle's and the Cokes and those type of companies jumping on when it as far as a beverage and food additive. Um, And that's just going to open up the entire superfood and animal feed and the industrial side, because, all right, Mm -hmm. we've, we've got this one part of the industry taken care of. The big boys are jumping in and now we can scale up enough and have the big boys jumping in on the industrial side. And who else is going to be jumping into this is the oil and gas industry. And there's a, there will be a presentation at Southern Hemp Expo for about lost prevention or lost circulation materials that are being used right now in orphan wells. And they're 
when we were up in Montana, there was some of that going on, putting hemp right in some orphan wells to stop the CO2 from admitting. And it's really cool. And there's like 3 million orphan wells out there that need to be filled up with some hemp and hemp. hemp. I that's saw coming. that. Yeah, it's yeah coming. I saw that. <laughs> well, and I think for lots of reasons, right? Remediating the soil. You look at these old, um, I didn't say old, these areas. I used to live in Vernal, Utah, or the Vernal area where it's lots of oil mines or oil wells, right? And so mm -hmm. being able to, I guess, revitalize that town, bring, bring some opportunity to the town, right? That's where yeah, there's so much opportunity out there that you look at remediating soil or cleaning up out there. Well, him's going to lead the way trying to clean up the messes that big industry has created over the last 50 to 100 years. And they're going to have to invest heavily because they know that they've left a mess and they're being fined. And the EPA hopefully will do the right thing, depending on who's running the EPA, what right. type of what administration is running it. And even then. They need to do a better job of holding these big companies accountable for all the crap that they're dumping into rivers and dumping into the soil and into the oceans. And Well, and they're definitely again. getting involved. I mean, they definitely understand that hemp is at the forefront and they're, they're putting money in for running tests and some R&D, right? And so now it's a matter of validating the claims or validating it with their way, right? Their, their resources. Yeah. Um, so I definitely see it coming. I think that that's something that's exciting to be talking about is it's no longer an idea. It's happening. And, and like Daryl said right here, he says patents are coming before collaboration. Few companies that guard and then sue before collaborating. True, For sure. Right? And, that, you know, I get that. But at the same time, I'm an open source guy. And for the sake of humanity, the more that we can share um, and just and we're all one. I mean, it's going to benefit everybody. And then there's plenty of pie to go around, but there is a, a greed factor. In, this is my IP and, you know, I'm the only one doing it. It's like, well, you're probably not. I'm sure somebody else is thinking about something very similar. And then, then all the time wasted in court and suing people. I'm just not a, a big fan of that. I'm an open source guy. Well, and I think really what, what's the saying that rising tides rises all boats, right? Right. Yeah. So it really is. Um, I really like work with Bruce also. Shout out to what Bruce is doing, trying to create this out open source platform to put numbers to the carbon sequestration. And it's not for selfish purposes. It's for the is sake draw down hemp. Yeah. For the sake of understanding what you know, what the value of hemp that hemp has on you know the carbon and drying down the carbon from our atmosphere. Right. So yeah. Bruce is great. Uh, Bruce has been a the shows for a long time. He's yeah. going to be out at Southern Hemp Expo again. I love having Bruce there. And, you know, we, the more the merrier of those who want to draw down carbon and, and try to help save the planet. Mm -hmm. I guess we, the planet's going to be around, you know, try to help save our species. Humanity, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So what else, what else do you have going on? What else has been new? Oh, can you show us some of your, your, Guitars, some of your products. Yeah, but also I just so this Doug Fine. We did this first legal yeah. harvest in 2015. This is a whole hemp printed uh, monologue, and Doug's actually in Fort Collins right now. I hung out with him last night. We had dinner, and wanted to Doug. give a shout out to Doug. Doug's another guy who's 
put out some great books. He put out that. He put out Hemp Bound. He put out Amer- American Hemp Farmer, a great advocate, great speaker, regenerative entrepreneur, somebody that's out there fighting for the small farmer and the craft producer. And we need that voice. We can't just have big ag consuming everything. You know, yeah. there has to be the small family farm. And, yeah. you know, hemp has, you know, hemp was providing this promise. And then all of a sudden we have the CBD glut. And then all of a sudden, I don't want to grow hemp anymore. It's like, wait, you just were growing the wrong part of the <laughs> wrong part of it. We need to look at the fiber and grain side. But before the farmer grows that, there has to be some place to take it. There has to be processing. There has to be a market. So mm-hmm. we're still in that stage. How do we help save the small farmer that can utilize hemp in their rotation at some point um, and still make it worthwhile? Farmer has to make money. It all comes down to the farmer in the end. Right. Right. So let me ask you that. What is that? That answer to your question. How do we, how do we bridge this gap for the small farmer? That's a good question. That's why we have trade shows and, and sessions where we can, what are the problems? What are the solutions? What are the opportunities? And we're going to do that at she this year where, Every, at the close of each day, we're going to have a PSO panel, a problem solution opportunity panel, where it's like, here's all the problems. Here's this, here's some solution and here's some opportunities and really try to engage people. So there's actionable items that we can walk away with because it's important now. I mean, we've had a industry that's been booming and now we're, you know, COVID took the wind out of us and there's a bunch of oversupply and people are like, I don't know if this is going to happen, but it is going to happen. You look at all the forecasts from all these different, um, you know, the new frontiers of the world and so forth. It's like, you look at from 2025 to 2030 and the, the growth rate of the hemp industry, you know, going from where we're at now to 20 billion to 25 to 30. I mean, we're going to see growth across all sectors of it. So it's just a matter of where do I fit in this equation? Where can I plug into where are these opportunities? And you know, I don't have all the answers. That's why I bring as many smart people to the events as possible who know more than I do. Surround yourself with all the smart people. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest, Morris, that's my favorite part of this. People say all the time, like, why are you in this industry? And for me, the people, the innovation, I sit around a group of people every single day that are years ahead. They're so much smarter than I am. And it really is just, it's fascinating. And I firmly believe that we create these raw materials and these opportunities and our kids will change the world with it. We just have to move fast enough that we can be here long enough for them to do that. (laughs) And the more that I'm around these discussions, the more real that conversation is. I think that that's been, yeah, we talked about education and not just for me, but everybody on my team. It's, it's powerful. Kathy has an awesome comment on here. She said, greetings. We're currently, we're, oh, can you see? I love (laughs) We're currently developing off-grid cannabis homestead where we'll showcase all ways that can be used in society to replace using products made from ancient sunlight. The dream is to build from the ground up using as much hemp products as possible from tiny cabins to packaging herbal products that she crafts. We're um, having difficulty in finding products, which I hear all the time. Now looking to collaborate with craft producers who want to showcase their hemp-based products. Um, I think this is a great idea and we hear all the time is how do we bring product to where people actually touch it? It's one thing to you know, learn through listening about it or watching it. It's another thing to actually touch it and feel it. 
Uh, how, do, how do we help bridge that gap? Obviously events, right? At events, I see display. This is where we miss over the Zoom calls is this face-to-face, this ability to say, oh, this is the, hempcrete really is lighter than concrete. Look, you can toss the block up in the air compared to, you know, a cinder block. Right. So there's- Well, it doesn't have to be just industry trade shows either. It's right. farmer farmer's markets and community events where if you're producing organic you know, farm goods or produce or hemp or whatever, th- that's where you, showing it to your community and educating people at the local level is super important. Totally. You know, we, we need an army of people out there doing it. It's like, you know, this is hemp. This is, and hemp is cannabis. It's not marijuana. This stuff doesn't get you high um, unless you're taking D8, which does get you high and really shouldn't even be in the hemp market. That's another <laughs> that's another discussion because there's people in the hip market that disagree with me on that. But Hey, you know, it's adult use. It gets you high. I, when I started NOCO hemp expo, I didn't expect people to be walking through my trade show floor, taking products. That's going to get them high. We've been an all ages show because hemp is all ages. You can do all this cool stuff with it. It doesn't get you high, but now D8 gets you high. So that, that again, that said, you know, educating at the local level, farmers markets, you know, community festivals that have, you know, a variety of different booths. I see CBD companies at all these local events now. Somebody's always setting up a CBD booth, which is great. Here's our products. We produced them locally. This is what they do for you. Um, and hopefully without making medical claims, because we got to be very careful as to what we're saying this can do and can't do. Right, right. Well, and again, taking it from an angle on the industrial side, right? On where where do we educate? I really think, like you said, the boots on the ground, hitting our farmers where they're at, going to community events, um, hosting Q&As. We've started to host some Q&A series in Utah focused on sustainability and economic development with hemp at the forefront of the discussion, right? Because it's such an opportunity. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think those are... That's really where we're headed. Well, uh, Maddie Mead, I want to say hi. If you're on still, hello. It's great to see you. Hey, Maddie. Good to see you in Montana. Keep kicking ass. (laughs) See, well, and Maddie, you are connect. Kathy, you'll have to connect with Maddie because Maddie's got hemp insulation and hemp blocks that they're working on. um, Maddie is rocking it. Everybody should take a look at Maddie. And, you know, I've known Maddie since 2014, since the first NOCO. I think we printed a poster for him, one of our first hemp posters, it was Maddie sent it to me. And, you know, he's been out there plugging away and, and leading the charge. And, and now he's got raised $3 million in funding through his funding platform to build out a hemp factory in Idaho. It's like, right on. It's in so Idaho. Cool. I know. You know. The anti-hemp state. Go for it. <laughs> Which everybody asks me all the time, how does he do it up there? So Maddie, I'd be curious about, uh, I think it's fascinating. It's great. It's opportunity. He's putting them on the map and he's creating um, a more sustainable, ethically created product that, that, again, I think that's something that's not brought up very often is the benefit on the backside. Sure. The product's a little bit more expensive, but understanding like with his insulation, the, uh, ability to reduce rodent infestation, you know, because there's no room for them to move around now and compared to the fiberglass, not just the health side, but yeah, all of it. It's pretty exciting. 
Hey, I did want to mention that we are working with the Hair Foundation, Dan yeah. Hair, for uh, Jack Hair Golf Tournament in Colorado on October 8th at Arrowhead Golf Club. So there's, if you go to elfgolf.com, there's information on that tournament. And I know you had Dan on a couple of days ago. And cheers to Dan and and Dan's dad, Jack, who's you know really kind of the the godfather first prophet old testament of the the hemp industry right now we're kind of writing the new testament and there's so many guys not not just jack but chris conrad and chris boucher and paul stanford and john dvorak there's a whole bunch of pioneers out there who've been pounding the pavement for a long time talking about the benefits of this plant and you know, hats off to all those who've been doing it for decades, yes. much longer than I have. And, you know, Same. those guys are and, and girls, Barbara Philippone and Summer. And, yes. you know, there's plenty of people, all, you know, across the board who've been doing great work for a long time. And hats off to all of them. And thank you. Right. Thank you for everything yeah. you have done, which has made opportunity for us to continue to do what we're doing and um, support what you're doing. So thank you very much. Um, I'm really excited again to see you. I would love information about the golf tournament. I'll be sure to share it with everybody okay. in our network and put it through our newsletter as well. I would love to come and participate. I'm really good at swinging sticks. I'm not very good <laughs> at hitting the ball, but <laughs> someone said, oh, you must be a good golfer. You said swinging sticks. And I was like, no. So you can drive the golf cart. That's, I'm great at that. I can bring some cocktails out. <laughs> and there, there's consumption allowed on the course in various places. And Arrowhead Golf Course is beautiful. It's like playing through Garden of the Gods and Red Rocks at the same time. So cool. Okay, well, I'm excited. Very, very excited. Uh, Morris, thank you very much for joining. I'm excited to share what you had going on and everything that you've been working on. Um, I'd love to continue this conversation and help out wherever I can. For those that are listening, thank you very, very much. Share. Um, if you'd like what you heard, please subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as all of our existing or our past interviews that are also on our YouTube channel. So um, please subscribe there. Other than that, Morris, we'll see you later. Have a good rest right. of the day. And thank you, right. everybody else. Thank see you, everyone. You later. Great to talk to you. Okay. See ya. If you see like you. our content and like what we're producing, please like, share, comment, subscribe. You'll meet so many amazing people with all of the interviews that we've done. They're available on our YouTube channel and on Patreon. Patreon.